Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Comfort Zone. I am your host, Joe Barksdale. Um, we have a guest today. Uh, we've got a, we've had guests back to back because these conversations are a lot of fun. And like I said, I know y'all don't want to hear me talk all the time. So I'm going to get into the feelings wheel real quick. Uh, but before I do, uh, the Comfort Zone is a mental health podcast that is um, that looks at mental health through the lenses of music, sports, and comedy or arts and entertainment. Uh, the goal is to entertain, engage, and educate at the same time. Uh, very ambitious podcast. Um, this is not a replacement for therapy. I'm not a licensed therapist. We will have therapists on here eventually. I know I say that every episode, but we are. I'm trying to talk my therapist on being out here. Anyway, um, without further ado, I'm going to go to the feelings wheel. Today, I feel, I mean, right now, I feel, it's more of a physical feeling. You know? uh, but I guess I got to pick something. I guess, all right. Today, I feel, or right now, I feel proud. I'm actually in a, not a lot of pain, but like muscle soreness because I got back in the gym yesterday for the first time in like a couple months. And yesterday was back day and I hate doing back day. But my back muscles are sore, which means that I did good work. So I'm proud of that. And ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, I want to introduce a very good friend of mine. And I'm sure he'll be back on the channel. Barry Jones. Hold your applause. No. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it. Uh, you are a uh, you're a man of many talents. I've enjoyed watching all the different things you get into. Uh, you're not boring, that's for sure. You never uh, <laughs> stay still for very long before you have a whole new career. And before I get to the feelings, Will, I just got to tell you guys out there that I lived in the same apartment building as Joe when he literally learned to play the guitar in the NFL, and he was. Uh, Thankfully, not to me, but to many, the most hated neighbor on the entire floor because all he did was blare guitar uh, music. And at first, I'll be honest, it was really bad. It was really bad to start. I mean, look, everybody's bad to start. And uh, over time, he got better and better to where it wasn't so painful to walk walk past his door. And uh, look, now he's a musician. So you, you can do anything you set your mind to, I guess. Uh, he had told me the first time I walked by Joe's room and heard the noise coming out of there that he was one day going to be a musician, I want to bet you a million bucks that that was not going to be the case. So, Joe, and I oh. say that, I say that, I mean, seriously, but also jokingly, I mean, you would probably admit that, right? You were bad at first. Yeah. Everybody's bad to start. I mean. I'm about to say, you should have seen my first. It was funny. I was better at guitar at the beginning than I was at football. Oh, wow. There yeah. So, there were a lot of coaches that were like, the high school's going to be it for you. Like <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I'll say right now, uh, I feel very thankful. Uh, thankful for Joe. Thankful for my family about to have second baby. Congratulations. Uh, thank you. And so, you know, thankful for life. Uh, really enjoy the phase of life I'm in. Um, you know, I think, Joe, we have something in common that, unfortunately, more people don't have in common. And the, uh, they're from former football players. As, as much as I like playing football, uh, I really enjoy my life now so much more than I did when I was playing football, I, I just love what I do. I love uh, the family dynamic of uh, just my weeks and there's so much to look forward to. So I, I'm loving life, really thankful for the people God's placed in my life. And yeah, just thankful for my job, the people around me, my church, um, feel very, very grateful uh, for great friends, 
uh, like Joe and many others, and uh, just feel really blessed. Ladies and gentlemen, that's been the show. No, I'm just <laughs> that was go. fantastic. Um, congratulations again on the second child. Bear's having uh, another child, and that's always a beautiful thing. It's funny. Girl this time. It's a girl this time. I was right. I was saying you're having another child. I'm like, I don't know if he wants people to know if it's a girl or not. You know, I don't care. Oh, okay. So Barrett's having another child. I will say children, and you talked about church. Children definitely changed my viewpoint and relationship, like, with God. Because, like, growing up in the church I grew up in, you know, God was just in heaven. Like, I don't know, almost like Jesus was holding him back. And it's like, you better be glad, you know, Jesus is here. Because otherwise, I'd be on your ass. But, you know, that's not how God is. And I didn't, because growing up, I had conditional love. Like, we love you when you're doing well. But after I had my kids, I was like, oh, this must be how God feels about me. These kids couldn't do anything. You know, it's, it's very hard. Absolutely. To say, no. I, I think that's so true, Joe. And I, I uh, my wife always used to joke with me that uh, before I married her, that I didn't experience the full range of emotions, you know, and now she's introduced <laughs> me to that. And uh, honestly, though, like when you have a kid, like I, I used to be a pretty tough guy, like, you know, never really got very emotional. And then all of a sudden you have a baby and. You know, then then you're reading your kid some book and you find yourself just crying. You're like, what is going on right now? And this kid is, you know, and like, I don't want to go off on this tangent too much, but very similar to what you're saying. Like this kid can do nothing for me. Like, I mean, he can't Mm -hmm. provide for me. He can't, uh, you know, talk to me even yet. Like, but I just still love him so much, uh, even though I do everything for him. And uh, so it's it's just awesome. I love being a dad. Uh, It's there's nothing better on the earth than, than being a dad. And uh, again, looking forward to doing it again here. And I got a, a boy that just turned two and uh, it's, it's definitely deep in my faith as well. And just my understanding of life. And uh, again, just a glimpse of how God must feel about me. Like you're saying, uh, even to a much greater degree, because there's times where I don't even love my son perfectly. Right. And uh, the Lord always loves me so well. So that's a good word, Jeff. Thank you. We're going to pass that off and play it around while I ask the next question. <clears throat> so as a dad, like as being a dad, since we were talking about parenthood and kids, how would you say it's affected your mental health? And like, not like it doesn't have to be like incredibly negative or incredibly positive, but just how have you, have you noticed a change? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I think it's definitely very positive for me. Um, in a lot of ways, I, I think, you know, first of all, um, I think it's brought me and my wife closer, uh, which mm-hmm. I think is a positive just as watching her get to be a mom. Uh, not that we weren't close before, we were really close before, but just I think it deepens your relationship with your spouse as you're uh, raising a kid together. You get to see him in a whole new light and I think have a whole new respect and appreciation. And, you know, I think that it's easy for anybody in any job uh, to have thoughts of, you know, purpose and just to think about like, man, am I really just like passing the hours or am I really making the hours of my life count, you mm-hmm. know? And uh, I think if we're honest, there's times where we feel like we're probably just passing them. And there's other times where we're making them count. And I think, um, you know, when you have a kid, to me, it gives you such a direct way to make the hours count. You know, there's there's a a saying I say a lot, but it's, you know, or a concept I talk about a lot, really, of, of the only thing that tangibly remains with you on earth when you die uh, is what you've invested in other people. You know, that's Mm. the only thing that really lasts obviously not taking any money with you when you die not taking anything 
anything else with you really, you're, but, but what you've invested in others and te- taught and trained them to do, you know, will practically last on the earth. And so when you have a kid, it's pretty cool, you know, because you have an opportunity to really mold and teach and train somebody, um, you know, it's, of how to think, how to believe. And, you know, I, I don't, I definitely don't buy the whole theory of, uh, you know, now there's a very new age thought that, Hey, you're not supposed to teach and train your, your kids a lot. You're supposed to kind of let them decide sort of everything for themselves. Um, and you know, there's a, there's definitely a balance to that you don't, you don't, you don't just want to only, uh, brainwash your kids to everything you'd like for them to believe. But also I always tell people like, Hey, the world is, is teaching and training your kids every single day you're out there. And so I'd rather me teach and train them, you know, what truth is versus the world. And so it's really cool. Even my son's just two. So obviously he's just now starting to really understand a lot of that, but just the opportunity to be able to do that to me, I'm a doer. I'm an, I'm an action guy. So I think that uh, to have that practically every day I come home and to have an opportunity to um, invest into my son has been incredibly rewarding. And I think has um, helped me feel an even deeper sense of purpose, not that I already didn't, but again, an already a deeper sense of purpose of, you know, hey, what am I doing here on earth? Um, you know, and, uh, and and what am I trying to accomplish? And part of that is, you know, raising a boy into a man who, uh, you know, can make decisions and is responsible and hopefully follows the Lord. And there's a lot of things that I, I've kind of thought out and want for him. Uh, but, but it's, I think that's a, a big deal for me and a big deal to feel like uh, I understand a little bit better of what my purpose here is for this time period while my son's at home. I dig that. And it's fun, not funny. Uh, coincidentally, my therapist and I were recently talking about children. Um, obviously, well, it's not obvious, but my wife and I each have like, you know, different childhood traumas that we deal with. Um, and she talked about like the healing that, you know, watching your spouse be a parent can do for you. You know, seeing your wife, uh, you know, give the, give things to your kids that maybe your mom didn't give to you. And I'm not talking about like tangible things. I'm talking about, you know, like sure. love and understanding and patience and that kind of thing. Um, and she says it works the same way for, you know, uh, my wife, you know, her dad wasn't um, dad of the year ever. And uh, so, <clears throat> you know, watching me spend time with the girls and, you know, is daddy coming home and daddy's actually coming home. Those kind of things definitely do help with that. Um and yeah, that's, I mean, that's a lot of profound information that you gave. I will ask, okay, I do want to go back to this because you, at the beginning of the uh, conversation, we talked about how you said you were enjoying your life more after football than before football. How do you feel when people refer to you as like ex-NFL player or, you know what I mean? Like, how do, how do you, how does that Definitely. register with you? Yeah, you know, I think I think that part of that is just uh, I think for anybody, but especially a football player, high achiever, you know, whatever. It's it's there is so much of your identity can become wrapped up in football, um, and it's really hard. When did you start playing? To, I started playing in sixth grade. Uh, so let's see, what okay. year would that have been? Around two thousand one. So then I played till two thousand you know, 16 or something. So, I mean, 15 years, like that was what I did. I played a lot of football, you know, and Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, it's so hard for that not to become a part of your identity. And then you lose it all of a sudden. You're like, oh, my goodness, what what do I do now? Right. Um, But Mm -hmm. I, I, 
I think that, uh, and, it, and I'll be honest, it took a little bit of time, not like in an extreme way for me, uh, but in a way of like, mm. I had like a six to nine month period where, you know, and I think most people in life have this feeling, maybe when they graduate college or they're in, you know, senior college, whatever, and they have this feeling of like, oh, wow, like I have to like pick my path in life. You know, that, that's hard to just mm. all of a sudden figure out like, what in the world do I want to do? Uh, it's it's one thing to talk about it, then you actually have to get out there and do it. And so I had a time where it was a transition and I, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to go and which direction. And, um, you know, I looked at a lot of different jobs and tried to think about kind of what I wanted to do. And so it did take some time. But, you know, now I just feel like uh, that I've I have lost that piece of my identity. Uh, it's actually been a lot healthier for me to not have that, you know, to not uh, be known as a football player. And I knew you asked me, how does it make me feel? You know, at, at the beginning, um, for so long, that's just kind of how people thought of me, you know? And so I'm, I'm now a financial advisor. I manage money primarily. And, um, you know, at the beginning, I, I didn't really even mention that in meetings because I was so focused on, you know, not being that guy. Like I wanted to prove, Hey, I, I'm more than just a football player. Uh, but I think I'm in a healthier mm-hmm. spot with it now where, people say it and I talk about it and, you know, if something happens, I bring it up and occasionally it opens doors, you know, you kind of use it for in, in good ways of, uh, of being able to talk and discuss it. Um, but, it, but understanding that, Hey, it was a great chapter of my life. Uh, it's not a chapter that I miss. People always love to ask me. They probably ask you that too, Joe. They say, man, do you miss football? <laughs> and I say, mm-hmm. uh, no, I really don't. I miss some of the people. I miss the relationships, but I don't really miss going out there and practicing that. I don't miss that at all. Uh, and I don't really miss the lifestyle. The lifestyle <laughs> is crazy. Um, you know, I was on four teams my last year, yeah. just moving all around the country, different apartments. It's hard to develop strong bonds when you're doing that kind of stuff. So I don't miss that part of it. But I, I'm in a healthy spot now with it where, um, you know, I, I, I think I appreciate, uh, you know, kind of where it got me. I'm glad I did it to a large degree. Um, but but I don't miss it. And I'm enjoying the phase I'm, I'm, of life I'm in right now. Uh, again, like I said, much more so than I, I did when I was playing football. So let me ask you this. High school, well, yeah, high school, college, and professionally, how did football affect your mental health in each of those stages? Like, where do, where would you say that you were at mentally because of football, if that yeah, makes sense? Um, you know, I think high school, I remember a big time for me uh, my junior year I really had just gotten so into football. I wanted to play in college. That was my goal. And I got hurt. And that was a really tough time for me of just kind of reassessing uh, life. And, we, and if you're an athlete, you're hurt. And that was kind of my first time to – that was my first time to get hurt and miss a large chunk of the season. And you're out there watching your teammates play, and you start kind of asking these existential questions like, who am I and you know, what's the purpose of my life and am I just this football player? And um, it ended up actually being a really good time for me. But at the time, I, I just remember kind of being sad. And I'm, I'm an extremely upbeat, positive person in general. That's just kind of my general personality. Uh, and it was a really it's tough time uncanny. for me. Yeah. And, and so uh, it, it just – that I would say – I would say that that was – high school for the most part was good, but that was a time where it was, was growing for me. College at the beginning absolutely just rocked my world, you know, of like going here and – you're kind of the man, you know, in high school and then you go to college and well, you're not the man anymore. And, uh, again, at the beginning, like that's about as low as I've ever been probably, um, 
you know, maybe with the exception of some like you know, deaths in the family or something of like uh, camp mm-hmm. my freshman year. Uh, I remember my mom went and visited me and she just left and she just cried because she said I look so sad and down because, you know, it's 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 really tough mentally. Um, I think a lot of people mm-hmm. know the tough part, part physically about football, but phys- football is such a challenge mentally to be able to motivate yourself and overcome, um, you know, a lot of different styles of coaching. Uh, can, can we say like, you know, there's a lot of negative yeah. coaching, which, you know, it's, I don't know. There's different, different people have different styles and work, they work for different people. And that's a way above my pay grade mm-hmm. to decide which is which, but there's a lot you have to overcome uh, because it's easy to kind of start living and dying every day by how you didn't practice that day. You know, um, you know, then you get to the NFL and it is, literally your job and you're literally could get cut by how you do in practice that day. So that's really hard. It's hard to just uh, be steady and have the same even killed personality when, if you have a bad practice, it's so easy to get down on yourself. So, you know, again, one of those things in hindsight, I feel like it made me a lot stronger because I learned how to deal with adversity better, how to deal and overcome times where I would get a little bit down, how to, you know, personally in my life, how to, rely on the Lord for my identity and my satisfaction and not really look to football to tell me who I was or how great I was, or, um, you know, not let my performance dictate my mood or my attitude. And so, uh, but yeah, it was, that was definitely the source of a lot of the adversity I had uh, growing up. And uh, which look, I'll admit that's, that partially speaks. I, on the, you know, home life scale, I had a, I had a, I had a very easy, Joe, you know, my family and you had Thanksgiving dinner with us a few times mm-hmm. in St. Louis. I've got a great family that supported me, loved me, encouraged me. Um, so I didn't have mm-hmm. a lot of really stress or adversity in that, uh, in that department really growing up a lot. I mean, I had, you know, of course everybody has some things, but in general, I, I was very right. blessed to have a great mom and a great dad. And so I do think that played a lot into being able to handle those times when they did come because I had, you know, kind of that strong core to lean on. So anyway, that was a, that was a long ramble, but it was a, it was definitely an ebbs and flow. I think the theme in all of it was, mm-hmm. you know, learning to not be defined by how I performed, defined by what I did uh, and learned that who I was, was a lot broader and deeper than just playing football. I dig that. So what do you do? It takes time to learn that lesson though, Joe, this. you know, that it takes time to learn that lesson. You can't, you know, a, it's one thing to say it, it takes time to really live that out. It's weird because it does take time, but at the same time, like it was something I look forward to since I first got in the league. Like, and I know I'm different in that way, but like I was always excited about figuring out the thing that I was going to do after football. Um, even while I was playing football, I never, I never saw myself as like a football player, which is why I think it's weird for me. Like when people recognize me from football and when like there's an article or something and they're like X NFL star, I'm like, eh, I don't like it. It makes me uncomfortable. They're trying to get clicks, Joe. <laughs> don't they're trying to bait in clicks. That makes sense. But it's still like it I don't I would like to be at the point where I'm, you know, known just for being me and like not for being a football player, but in the right ways. You know what I mean? I, I get that. And hey, like, for a man who yeah. is a now a musician, a comedian, podcaster, you're well on your way. So, you know, you're a football is <laughs> like four jobs ago for you. You know, uh, I mean, it's this way on your on your LinkedIn profile. It's like you can you have to like you know push show more to even get to the football <laughs> part because you had so many other things going on. Last <laughs> show more. 
So what are, I do want to ask you, uh, what what are some things that you do not with your necessarily free time, but like what are, have you, uh, do you have any like hobbies or things of interest that you've pursued more since you've uh, stopped playing? Sure. Yeah. I, I think one of the things is I'm really involved in my church. I go to a great church here and, you know, that was honestly one of the things that was really hard for me about football was just that was such a big part of my life growing up. And then when you play football, it's just really hard to be very involved in church because obviously you're playing on Sundays mm-hmm. in the NFL uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, you, you're practicing sometimes on Sundays or if you have a game on Saturday night, it can mm-hmm. be really difficult. I usually still went in college, but I was very tired a lot of times after a big night game after we thumped LSU or something. Uh, and uh, which yeah, normally people sense. will be insulted by that. Joe doesn't care. So I, I got to know my audience here to know that <laughs> it's like, I don't care if you beat LSU. That doesn't affect me at all. Uh, so, uh, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of hobbies though. I, I, uh, I love traveling. Uh, traveling is one of okay. my favorite things to do. My wife and I love to travel. Obviously when you have a kid, um, cuts down on it a little bit, but we're big believers in like, Hey, take your kids, expose them to different things. And so, uh, for mm-hmm. the last, Five years, I've also, in addition to being a financial advisor, I've been an analyst for ESPN. Uh, so I've been the lead oh, nice. for ESPN College Football for ESPN Radio. Uh, so I call games. Uh, I've tra- I travel around the country and call football games every weekend during the football season. Uh, so that's given me a way to stay involved like with it. Um, and uh, that's also led to a lot of travel. But I've taken my family in a lot of those different places. So I love that. And my other one would be golf. I have to have some competitive outlet. And so golf has been that for me. I played a lot of golf when I first got done. I played a good amount of golf when I got married. And since I've had a baby, I've played uh, very little golf. But I do uh, enjoy it a lot. I still (laughs) enjoy the competition aspect of it. And it kind of gives me that outlet of finding a a channel for it. So those are a few of my hobbies. Um, You know, I like reading some. Uh, My job is I have to read quite a bit in – and uh, just mm-hmm. different financial markets, financial literature. So I'm doing a lot of that. Uh, but then just I, I'm, I like being involved in things. I'm very – I go to a lot of luncheons and things in the community and, you know, volunteer places, meet with guys. I've got two groups, one on Tuesday morning, one on Thursday morning that I meet with, uh, kind of Bible study type things of investing in younger people. You so, said I was doing a lot. Well, you know, Joe, I guess I'm trying to keep up with you, man. So I got, I got a lot of things that my <laughs> wife is always on me to lessen my schedule. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, to this point, we, we've, we haven't gotten there yet, but we're, we're, we're trending in that direction. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, stepping in the right direction is better than stepping in the wrong direction. That's true. That was so cliche, but, <laughs> but it's true. You can edit that out. Yeah. Step in the right directions. There you go. Okay. No, I'm probably not going to. I'm very late. I I that's why these. I said this I so you can hear this whole conversation. You seem like a raw guy. <laughs> Keep it raw like that. The mistakes and all. Yeah, like, yeah, because, I mean, people make mistakes. I mean, I, yeah. Like, if I, I was did. a woman, I wonder if I wear makeup. How did that come out? I'm sorry. Anyway, back to you. When it, <laughs> when it comes to, how can I say this? What is the wildest experience you've had traveling with the uh with the college analyzing job oh and what's the what's the what's the nicest these are selfish questions what's the nicest campus that you've seen since you've uh, been doing the job oh that's so hard the nicest campus that i've seen oh uh, i've had some great games i would say my best games that i've called probably i got i've gotten to call the 
one of the uh, college football playoff games, the semifinals, the last three years. Uh, so last year I called okay. the Alabama-Cincinnati game, and those are just always a lot of fun. Um, I've called Alabama-LSU, honestly, one of my favorite games to call. I've gotten to call that before. Um, I don't know. I've gotten to call so many, so many big games and fun games. You know, ESPN Radio, it's been a cool outlet for me. I did TV for a couple of years, and then um, – I got an opportunity in radio, and the good thing about radio is that most weeks there's only one game. So on radio, so you, you get a at mm-hmm. least nationally, so you get a uh, you get to get a pretty good game every week. Um, what's the nicest campus, man? That is that's really really tough because I've been to so many campuses. Actually, we have a a deal with LSU, so I go. That's the school I've called the most games at is LSU, and probably so know right. and most familiar with the LSU people booth. We have a tailgate we go to before every game. They give me some gumbo on the way in, fuel me up for the experience. Nice. Um, but I've got to see some random places too. Like that's kind of been one of the fun aspects of getting to go to Virginia and Syracuse and uh, Washington and, uh, you know, places just you normally wouldn't have all gone different kind. Of, yeah, exactly. USC is a beautiful stadium, like mm. places like that, that uh, as a kid growing up in the South, I wouldn't have typically gotten to go to, but because of it, I've gotten to go all over you know, my still favorite place probably, though, is getting to call a game in Alabama where I played. That was pretty special. Uh, that was a pretty neat deal and kind of a full circle experience for me of getting to call a couple of games over there in Tuscaloosa. That was probably my favorite, if I'm being honest, just because of the familiarity there and getting to go back in a, in a different capacity. That makes sense. How do you feel about players getting paid? I'm all for it. You know, I, I think uh, we need to find a model that made sense. Um, you know, do, do I think it'll change the game? Yeah, of course it will. I mean, mm-hmm. anytime you add money, it's going to change the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, we're talking about uh, businesses that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I think the Olympic model, which is basically is kind of what we're doing now, where, you know, players are able to get sponsorship deals, but they can't get paid directly from the school, makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, even though it makes sense in some ways for the schools to directly pay the athletes, I still have yet to see a model where that doesn't just completely blow up college football because you know, there's so there's probably about 20 or 30 football programs that are super profitable that could easily mm-hmm. do it, and the rest of them would really struggle. So uh, I don't know how that would work and how you do that. They maybe have to start their own league, but I do think that the NIL, um, you know, ultimately will uh, is is a good thing. And even though will, will there be players, you know, people will say, oh, there, there's going to be players that handle the money irresponsibly. Mm-hmm. There's 50 year olds I know that handle yeah. money irresponsibly. So, yeah, of course there will be. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A bunch of them will, you know, and they'll learn from it, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's part of life. So that doesn't mean we shouldn't pay them. I've heard that argument. And I think it's kind of silly uh, because I've seen a lot of people handle money irresponsibly that aren't Same. in college. And so there'll be a lot of people that handle responsibly and it'll be really good for them. And, It'll be good for their family for a long time. So I think that uh, it makes sense. It makes, you know, the, the thing to me was when you see people walking around in jerseys with other people's numbers on it, mm-hmm. that didn't make a lot of sense to me. I never really got that, how you could wear a, a Julio Jones or Mark Ingram jersey or A.J. McCarron or whoever when I was at Alabama, mm-hmm. uh, and those guys wouldn't get anything. That I did, that didn't I, – I thought that wouldn't last very long. So I like that, and I think that, that so far – now, do I think there should be some rules around it? I do. I've got a lot of deep thoughts on that. I think there should be some kind of rule or, you know, there's, there's got to be some kind of regulation and, and also transfers that goes into that. You know, I, I think that um, that's going to be a big part. And those two things are kind of connected just because we have some kind of free agency going on now where 
we got in like a school, it's just the highest bidder, you know, mm-hmm. is that good? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, I just think we need to kind of take a look. It's all new. It's kind of the wild west right now. We probably need to have some kind of uh, rules on, on regulating it a little bit. So we're still is, in beta. You're saying. The problem is exactly the problem is there's no regulating body in the NCAA. You would think it, in the, in college football, you would think it would be the NCAA. The NCAA has no power in football. They have power in basketball, but no power in football really. Uh, and so that's been a major problem. And all these conferences kind of just act on their own. So that's a long conversation. Hmm. Uh, but all in all, I do think it was a, the right step. And, um, you know, everyone said, oh, it's going to completely ruin college football. I don't think it will. I think college football will still be really good for a long time. Yeah, the one. I mean, that was the one thing that I will say, like, I, and I told somebody, I was talking to someone else about this uh, on the show before you, and I was saying that, like, it may take away from some of those, like, big comeback games, like where someone's down by, like, 31 and a half, and, you know. Like I've, we've actually come back from a thirty point deficit at halftime when I was playing at LSU. It was against Troy. It should have never been a pro- problem in the first place. But yeah, we came back from like a thirty point deficit, and I just wonder. I mean, because you've been in the NFL locker rooms, you know, when you down big at halftime, people coming in the locker room like I haven't even met yet. Like, hey, protect yourself, man. We obviously ain't winning this one. You know what I'm saying? And I wonder if that's gonna trickle down to college. It could. Yeah, I definitely could. And it'll be interesting to see as, um, you know, kind of the income gap widens more and more. I think there'll be less small deals and still a big focal point on bigger players. You know, at the beginning, it was just kind of like everybody was getting a deal for something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I think it'll be there'll be a the process will become more efficient, like everything. And they'll figure out who the guys that are actually marketable really are. And so how will those players be perceived by the rest of the team. A lot of that's unproven. But, mm-hmm. again, I think that the pros still outweigh the cons. There definitely are cons, but I think they're unavoidable. And uh, it yeah, still was same. the right move for college football at the time. Same. Yeah, I agree with that. When you – um, how did I just forget – oh, okay, hold on. I was just about to ask you a question. When you think back on your time in college – What? So you're from Tennessee, right? Memphis, Tennessee, born and raised. Okay, so what made you go from Tennessee to Alabama? I was trying to ask that like in a nicer way, but I'm just what made what made you pick Alabama? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of factors. First of all, my dad went to Alabama, so I did. I had some exposure growing up seeing Alabama. Both my parents are from North did Alabama. He, play? And, uh, he played basketball actually. Okay, so he's oh, incredibly yeah, yeah. soft. Uh, and doesn't have the same toughness that his sons do. Uh, I hope I'm going to have to send him that part of the clip. But uh, he uh, he uh, so that that was part of it. But also uh, the distance is is maybe a small part of it. Tennessee University of Tennessee is about six hours from Memphis. Alabama is only about three and a half. Um, huh. You know, but, but probably the biggest part of it, honestly, was Nick Saban. Uh, I just really was attracted to his style and wanted to win and felt like he was just going to win. And by the way, that turned out to be a pretty good bet. Uh, we won a lot while I was there. And so I, I, I was not going to go to Alabama uh, before he got there. I went on a visit and was not interested. Uh, and then when he got there, that was a big uh, determining factor for me. Just seeing even in his first year, the way the the culture was starting to turn, I wanted to be a part of that. I can dig that. When you, um, sorry, some of my, so when you think about, 
like, you know, playing in college and playing in the league, I know you were saying earlier that, like, you know, obviously life is better without football now. Do you still keep in touch with, like, many people from college or the pros? I'd say a few. Mm -hmm. Um, I got a few. Uh, Not that many, honestly. Um, But I've got a few. In fact, some of my closest friends that I still keep in touch with from college are, like, guys who are, like, walk-ons that I knew. Nice. Uh, You know, not necessarily, like, the star players. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, when I see a lot of those guys, I'll talk to them. But – um, I would say just a few, just a few, just a few, few here and there, a few from the league, and a few from, um, a few from college. I, I do have a few close friends that I still keep up with uh, from the NFL. Um, you remember, you remember Case Keenum? Case Keenum and I are still yeah. really good buddies. Okay, uh, we still talk quite a bit. And so, <laughs> got a few, Case Keenum again, lived right under me when, during these guitar uh, shenanigans you were talking about. Poor guy. Poor guy. That's it's yeah a lot, a lot, it was a lot pretty of work, bad a lot of broom to the ceiling you know if I'm gonna be honest with you I went back so you came to my wedding I played guitar at my wedding and yeah. it was awful like I went back and watched that video like a year or two ago it was very bad I could do a whole podcast Joe on your wedding <laughs> what about I really it? could I well so I, mean, <laughs> I have so many stories I have so many stories about your wedding so. First of all, I think just the, the the listeners need to understand, like, I am, you know, about as, like, suburban white kid as it comes. Yeah, and unashamedly so. I mean, like, it's just you can't control where you're born and where you grow up. And, That's true. You know, that kind of stuff. And so so I go to Joe's wedding, and the first the first story I have is that I get there, you know, I'm, like, you know, my neighborhood, you go to a wedding, like, you get there at least 20 minutes early. So weddings are, like, 2 o'clock. I get there at 1.40 or whatever it is. And I'm there, and there's, like, nobody there. And I'm like, okay, well, maybe just, you know, they're, they're coming. The sanctuary is probably about, like, you know, a, a, a tenth full at best. Comes around, you know, we're at, like, you know, one one fifty eight, And, like, there's people – see people starting to kind of come in. The wedding starts to – and, you know, now we're at 2.05. And I'm looking around, and I'm panicking internally. And I'm like, is something going on? Did they call off the wedding? Like – is, is Joe okay? Should I go back there and check on him? And I ask him, I'm like, hey, like, where's Joe? Like, it's 2.05, the wedding starts. Is there something going on? Like, is they changed, and they're like, dude, just it's fine. Just what do you, what do you mean? I'm like, the wedding's at 2. They're like, dude, the wedding never starts on time. I'm like, what you mean? The, it's a wedding. We're just 2.30, we finally have a procession, and I am just like, sweating bullets over here thinking that like Joe and Ron are in a fight backstage or something. Uh, so that was my first cultural experience of like, okay, not everyone does it this exact way where they like literally the like first person, the grandparents walk through the door at two o'clock. The wedding time. <laughs> not kidding. Right on time. There's no doubt they're walking through the door at the exact moment. And that was not the case at Joe's wedding. So that was the first part. Second part is someone passed out on stage during Joe's wedding. I forgot. That was funny. Uh, and then we get to the reception and I mean, I loved it by the way. I like, I'm just soaking the whole thing in, but like, you know, all this, this stepping stuff was just super new to me. And I'm just like, what is happening right now? Like it was, I, I, I've been to a lot of weddings, like don't remember a lot of them, but like that one, I remember so well. And seriously, it was so fun. Like that's part of the, the fun thing about weddings and part, part of the fun thing about life is just like being exposed to different things you've never seen before. And, you know, like different, like cultural, norms and like i just absolutely loved getting to kind of see like 
uh, you know, the uh, was it Omega Sci-Fi or what? what? Yep. No, uh, Omega yeah, Sci-Fi. Omega Sci-Fi. Like different different stuff going on there. Like that that was just so cool to me to get to like be a part of that. So I often think of that wedding. I've now gotten to tell several of my uh, you know suburban white friends like, hey, if you get like they're going to a wedding, I'm like dude, don't just. I'm gonna warn you, like, don't panic when they're not out there. Right <laughs> don't on time. panic. Because, like, I know you're going to be panicking like I was. Don't panic. This is normal. It's not a big deal. If I'm so, honest with you, I was the only reason I wasn't panicking was because Brianna told me beforehand, like, we're going to say two so we can start at 2.30, that kind of thing. Um, I wish you had to let me know. I mean, I could have <laughs> saved me some blood pressure, blood pressure medication. Because that's how I am now. Like, I have a comedy show, and I know that the show is going to start 30 minutes late, but I'm still like, oh, God, it's 8 o'clock. Where? Where is everybody? You know, so I I, I sympathize with you on that because I hate. Thank I you. Hate I'm glad. Here. I'm glad. I think thanks for letting me talk that through. It was a very, uh, it was a stressful. No, seriously, it was so fun. And uh, yeah, I, I just loved. Uh, I I love like experiencing new things. I'm all about like just experiencing new things. So going up to it was cold by the way. Oh yeah, in, uh, it was Detroit. cold. It turns out it's cold in Detroit for. It in the snowed winter. actually uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, Detroit. it's it's cold up there, and it was a very biting wind. Uh, <laughs> uh, went over there to uh, is it Novi? Is that right? Kind Novi. of the area we're in. Yep. Mm-hmm. and uh, it was great. So uh, it was it was a blast. Good time. You had like, didn't you have like you guys had like a kind of a king and queen like throne sort of setup up there on stage too? And yeah, it was it, it was that very was, elaborate. That was epic. So I love. Uh, I've told that story about that wedding so many times, and. Uh, I'm glad I got to tell it to you now because it was very stressful for me. But again, I was honored to be invited. <laughs> I'm glad that you were able to uh, make it past the stress. Speaking of weddings, have you seen these shows on Netflix? This is way off topic. Have you seen these shows on Netflix like The Ultimatum or like Love is Blind where like people are getting married or proposing without? What do you what do you think when you see these kinds of things, especially as like a married man? Because I'm going to tell you right now, like me, I see the shows and I'm like, if I'm ever bored, I'm going to watch this because there's obviously going to be some drama and shenanigans because, like, how are you going to marry somebody you just met yesterday? Like, this ain't Vegas. I don't know. It is crazy, and I've watched a few episodes of that uh, with my wife, and uh, it loves blind specifically, and it, it is definitely crazy. And so you, season uh, what one do I think about two. it? I think that none of those people will last. So, yeah. None I mean, of them. I mean, generally, I mean, that's my, I mean, maybe there's a one, one exception, but they don't really track those people after they're off the show, you know, that's true. Uh, or at least I don't. So, uh, you know, it's a, there's a lot going on there. I, I mean, it's a little bit weird to sign up for a show where you're getting married, you know, without seeing somebody that's a bizarre, um, you know, kind of concept, but yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot going on with different, you know, love shows and that's kind of the thing. Uh, Hey, Maybe it's worked for some people in the past. I can't imagine the success rate being very high, but uh, you know, I guess uh, to each his own in that in that category. Maybe I I, first, I don't know what to think about it. The first thought that comes to my mind is just like it must be really, really hard to find somebody like if you're willing to sign up for that because you're not just doing this where you meet somebody, but like there's a camera around you all the time too. So you know you don't even get to have the experience privately. That's I mean, it must be really well, hard. Let's be honest, people. though, Joe. A lot of those people that sign up <laughs> want to be famous. Can we You're just right. say that? You're right. Is yeah, that we fair? can agree on that. A Especially, lot of them just want to be Instagram famous, and uh, that's probably the motivation for most of them. I what? would just. Say. Are you watching season one or season two? Uh, I think two. I think two. All right, I'll be with interested it, to get your thoughts on some of those characters. With the 
What's the what's the one with the uh, the Indian guy that's that's a major tool? And no, apparently, uh, apparently they watered down all his toolness because we just watched the reunion and they were saying like, I mean, the, the entire rest of the cast like was pretty much not attacking him, but like they were all offended. Like people were walking up to the woman that he proposed to, like, "Do not marry him," you know. And I'm just like, yeah. is is that what's going on in your life that? You got to get on a show and cause drama and ask women if you can put them on their shoulders, put them on your shoulders. I don't know. All right. I just wanted to get your thoughts on that because you think love I is blind. Not, is crazy. I did not see this podcast going that direction. <laughs> you think love is blind is crazy. I watched the ultimatum because it was filmed in Austin. And I'm just like, I hope I never see any of these people in the wild. Like, <laughs> I just, I want to avoid all of you. Like, even if they came to a show or something like just, hey, they want to meet you at, nah, it's, it's okay. It's it's okay. Do you have any guilty pleasure TV shows that you like to watch? Oh, man. Um, or movies. I'm a big movie guy um, in general, but I don't really have a show right now that I just, I mean, I used to be a big office guy, but I've seen it so many times now. I don't, I don't watch it that, that Sad. much anymore. Uh, I don't know. I, I've, I've, you know, now, my life uh, consists of, uh, you know, running around like great, working really hard all day, and then getting home, and you have like a two and a half hour window of like mm. chasing your kid around, going outside and playing in the sand and mud and uh, building blocks and doing all that stuff, and then you know you just like are tired and you sit there and talk to your wife for a few minutes and go to bed and do it again. So uh, no, we haven't really had a show lately that we've been watching honestly, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard to find hard to find quality TV that's not just trash these days. Which is uh, weird because there's so much like there's so much media to consume. But you're right, like it's still just the quality to BS ratio is still like the same. You know, it is. It's a, there's a lot of trash out there, and and you know now and you have to have every streaming subscription to actually have access to the different trash too. So so you can watch commercials again. Like we did this whole, this whole streaming thing was cool because there were no commercials and now you're paying to watch commercials. We're, 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 we are right back, right back to television. Like it's I, almost like they still want to make money. True. That's true. You're right. So now that we've gotten completely off the rails, I want to, <laughs> I'm just going to continue this uh, down this, down this rabbit hole. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, like, who are some yeah, of your favorite artists? You're going to be so ashamed of me. About There's no such that. thing. I, I, I am. Uh, so my, I primarily listen to Christian music, probably. When so I who are some of your favorite gospel Christian artists? So, but I, I'll say I listen to music so rarely. I mean, I, I'm a huge audiobook guy. Okay. Like when, I, when I'm working out, exercising, like I listen to audiobooks a lot now. I just, you know, I used to like my music i used to be like really mainstream like i loved like growing up i loved like Coldplay and like red hot chili peppers and mm. uh you know different bands but i mean i just never listen to music anymore other than now i mean i, I listen to some like uh, veggie tale songs and stuff at dinner when my you yeah, know, kids I mean, yeah. kid songs uh <laughs> but uh the uh i just uh, I, my music has never been a huge part of my life honestly uh so what kind so of books know. do you dig like so, gonna, yeah, yeah, that's that, that I can talk about for a lot. So, I, you know, I want, always wanted to read more and it just started to find the time. So I started listening to books on tape mm-hmm. quite a bit and really enjoy uh, just books on tape. I listen to a on purpose, a wide variety of books. I try to read 
kind of a uh, Christian book, and then I try to read a a uh, like an interesting, maybe like fiction book. Like I actually have a secret. Uh, it's not that secret, but I have I love like CIA you know type books like spy thrillers. Okay, you like, like Jack I, Reacher? Those I, books? I have never read the Lee Child Jack Reacher books. Um, okay. I just watched the Jack Reacher series not long ago on Amazon Prime. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, but it, 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 it was uh, pretty faithful to the book too. I thought it was yeah, really good it, much better, much more, much more faithful than the five seven Tom Cruise. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, but the uh, I, I, my my very favorite of those is by a guy named Vince Flynn. Okay, uh, and it's the a guy named Mitch Rapp. This is kind of hero. Vince Flynn actually died of cancer, but now there's a ghostwriter writing him. Not as quite as good, but. Um, there was a movie recently hmm. uh, called American Assassin. I think that was about um, about the series. Anyway, so that, those are my very favorite spy kind of books. But then I also read a novel. So every once in a while, I'll read like a novel just to try to like read some classic, you know, literature. Like when I say like, I mean like real classics. Like uh, East of Eden is one I read recently. Brothers Karamazov. Like it's a that's a Russian. Okay. Uh, Fedor Dostoevsky, like I read like all over the map of just different. Uh, I'm reading right now a book called All the Light We Cannot See. Um, anyway, I kind of like go it? all. I like it so far. Yeah, I read the premise and I was like, I don't know if I. I remember, I remember that book specifically at Borders, walking in looking for books, whatever, and all the light we cannot see. And I remember reading the premise and I'm like, How is this interesting? How? Well, I mean, uh, don't, don't tell me what you wrote on the premises. I, I just, I'm about halfway through and I'm enjoying it so far. But Oh, no, no. I'm gonna, talking about on the jacket sleeve. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm, an, I'm, I'm nerdy, so I like almost anything. But, um, you Are know, you into, so like, like Star go, Wars or Harry Potter or any of that? I never did that. I, I did read Lord of the Rings growing up. I liked that okay. a lot. But uh, I've never, I never did the Harry Potter route. It was just a lot no, of people did it when I was young. And, and my wife always wants me to clarify. She's always gets mad at me and rolls her eyes because. She she's telling me I cannot tell people in public that I've read these books. So I need to tell. She's like, I'm like, oh yeah, I read that. And she's like, you didn't read it. You listened to it. You know. So let me clarify. I listen to these books. I do not read them. So what's the um, difference? Disclaimer. She says there's a difference. So what? what? Oh yeah, we need to get your wife on here to find out what the difference between listening and reading a book. My wife is. Good, she's a good. She's a very good arguer, and uh, she she's uh, you can imagine. I also like to kind of debate banter, and I married the perfect woman for me because she is smarter than I am. She's very intelligent and uh, it's very hard to, as you know, Joe, be married to someone who's a lot smarter than you because it's, uh, it's, you know, they're, they're, they, they get, they trap you and you're like, dang it. She, she won again. You end so, up saying you're right a lot. You're right. I know it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> you're right. Speaking of that. So we were talking about, uh, um, you were talking earlier about like the people from those shows, like those marriages aren't going to last that kind of thing. What are some things like when it comes to in your mind, when it comes to marriage, like if there's, you know, newlyweds listening or whatever, what are some things that they should be on top of in terms of like, you know, longevity of not just the marriage, but like the happiness and the fulfillment? In the That's marriage? a great question, Joe. And I could I could probably speak for a lot on this. So I'll tell you this. This is a little bit of a humble brag, but I actually <laughs> uh, I actually officiated my first wedding this past weekend. Oh, congratulations. Like, it was so fun, and I did so much research and kind of what I wanted did to say. Did they start on time? The charge. Oh, Joe. <laughs> exactly on time. Exactly on time. Five minutes early. No, yeah, literally, two o'clock, like, you know, world clock. Boom, <laughs> and, you know, and, 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 the, and, and my community, like, 
there was a, there was somebody like walking in, you know, like trying to come in the door and it's like, no, no, I'm sorry. You know, you gotta, you have to wait till, till the wedding party goes through. That's right. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's uh, Hey, you know, sorry, you were rude and late, but you know, again, not to everyone. I'm sorry. Every, you were rude and late. Every community is a little different. That's the way, that's the way that, you know, the, the, my community rolls. So every anyway, community yeah. has its pluses and minuses. You're every, right. everyone does. So you can't be late to a wedding, but anyway, uh, <laughs> So what advice do I have? Man, I've got I've got a lot. I could just read my, you know, homily off to uh, give you the charge. But, you know, for me, first of all, my marriage is rooted in my faith. I can't talk about one without talking about the other because I don't know how uh, it's well, I shouldn't say it'd be very difficult to stay married. I think if you didn't have that faith and you didn't understand the purpose of marriage, uh, which yeah. is not just your own happiness. That's not the only point of marriage. Certainly. There is that companionship element, and that's a great benefit. But, um, you know, my wife makes me so much better and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, helps to uh, help me grow and, and holds me accountable and does a lot of things that are painful but really good, you know, mm-hmm. for me. And so, uh, you know, without without going too far down the spiritual rabbit hole, I would just say um, understanding that marriage is not about you, uh, that your own selfishness this is a quote. Loosely from Tim Keller, I got an author I enjoy reading. Hey, shout out to Tim Keller. I'm actually reading Tim Keller book right now. I love that. There's a there's a book uh, called Meaning of Marriage. That's one of my favorite books about marriage. I read and, that book. Uh, it's a really good book, and uh, it is. It says that if each person can go into marriage saying my own selfishness is the main problem in this marriage, then you have a good chance uh, because you just need to understand that you are very selfish mm-hmm. and that you need to work on that. And mm-hmm. uh, it is really hard to when you get into marriage to not subconsciously think, Hey, if the other person would fix their stuff, then we'd have a better marriage. Mm-hmm. It's really, really hard not to get that mindset. And uh, if you can avoid that mindset and especially if both people can have that mindset, then it works a lot better. If both people can have the mindset of, Hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm selfish and I'm going to work on that and I'm going to control what I can control about this. It's a lot smoother. The other thing is just the forgiveness element and uh, both forgiveness and being the one to uh, go and try to uh, broker the peace. And sometimes that's really hard because you're mad and you really feel like you're right about something. Mm -hmm. Uh, But the longer you're married and Joe, you can probably speak to this too. The more you realize that it, it doesn't matter really. And that no one wins in those situations and that it's much better to, uh, you know, seek that peace and that unity than it is to be right and to win. And there's been a lot of times where I've won the argument and, certainly lost the war or the battle. <laughs> and, uh, so it Same is, here. uh, that takes a long time to learn and, you know, your pride and your ego gets in the way a lot of really wanting to be heard and wanting to say things, you know, you shouldn't say, but you say them anyway. Um, yeah, and, uh, it's a learned, it's a learned thing that takes time to d- learn and develop, you know? And then I, th- I think just back to the spiritual element, like, um, staying in the word. Like I, I think the days where I don't, uh, spend time in the Lord and prayer and reading my Bible to me are days where I'm not as good of a husband and not as good of a dad because I'm not as patient. I'm not as loving, as joyful, as peace, as peaceful, mm-hmm. uh, as gentle, as self-controlled. I'm not, I don't have those characteristics uh, as much as I do on days where I'm setting my intention for the day. Um, and so it's important. And then uh, I think just intentionality of understanding that you got to be intentional about your marriage. Uh, it's not like something where, a lot of people I see, they get married. The conquest is kind of over. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to be really intentional about that relationship. And just like any relationship, especially 
as you know, Joe, when you start adding kids and work in the mix, like you got to really make time to talk to mm-hmm. your spouse mm-hmm. and really figure out what's going on in their heart. Uh, and that is so important. And especially for, uh, for men and women, but especially I mean, my wife is a feeler. And if I, I need to really take time to get to know what's happening in her heart and what she's feeling and what she's thinking about and what's really important to her. And so that would be some just high level advice. Um, but advice that takes a, a lifetime to perfect. How long does uh, it take right? people to get to know each other before they should think about getting married? Ooh, that is so hard. Uh, you know, I'm actually, I'm actually team. Uh, I'm, I'm team. I, I think in general, people date too long, not too short. Um, okay, what's too long? You know, they're, they're, what, I don't know. They're, they're, Cause there's, a, there's a lot of evidence. You no, know, there's a lot. It's hard to there's, think about this study. I'm a data guy. Heart, you know, suggests that people used to stay married a lot better. I mean, in fact, in cultures where there was arranged marriages, they. The, mar- the marriage percentage was much higher than we have now. Yeah, I'm not saying we should have arranged marriages. That's not the point of this. Right. This, this, this diatribe. But that's just the data. But that is the data where these yeah. people didn't even know each other. They got married and then they stayed married for their entire life. Now, part of that was cultural. There's a lot of other factors that go into that. I understand that's hard to measure. Uh, but I do think that people uh, date too long. That doesn't mean that you should marry the first person you see. Uh, but I do think that you should date with intentionality. Um, and when you're dating, you should figure out not just go into it of thinking I'm trying to have fun, but I'm really trying to find out, is this my spouse? Hmm. And if you do it that way, I don't think it takes that long generally for me. Would you say uh, in all your relationships, have you always dated intentionally or was it like, I, I th- no, I mean, no. not, not, not really. I mean, the high school, college, I've, you know, I wasn't thinking about those kind of things mm-hmm. and I wish I had been because some of those girls I would have dated a lot shorter time probably, <laughs> um, you know, versus when I really started to think about, am I going to marry this person? And if I'm honest with myself, I'm probably not. I think most people, if they're honest, about a few months in, at least six months in at the at the most, sometimes even one month in, you kind of know, is this really a person I could marry or not? You know? Dang, and you think six months? You know how long I, I knew Brianna before I proposed? <laughs> yeah. And if you're honest with yourself, six months after knowing her, I'm not saying you had to know for sure, but you knew she was someone you could marry. Is that fair? Yeah, you're right. Yeah, I know that back in high I school. I mean, let me put it this way. There's a lot of girls you know you're not going to marry within six months. Yeah, you know, true. you're, you're, you know, okay, I'm not gonna marry her, but yet you still kind of are, you know, wasting your time and vice versa with the girls. It's not right. just goes for guys. Right. Vice versa, they're, you're messing around with a guy that you know you're gonna marry and you're just wasting time, uh, you know, hanging out with this guy and thinking you're gonna change him. So, anyway, it's, uh, I think that move on faster once you do know, but then once you figure out, hey, this is a person I wanna marry, go for it. I'm, a, I'm also team short engagement. Like, I think, Engagement is just a made-up thing in our culture that it's not really like been a real thing for a lot of culture where you just engage for this long period of time. And so, you know, I, I uh, my wife and I were engaged six months, and I wish that had been shorter. It felt long to me. So, I dig anyway, uh, yeah, I think uh, there's obviously a balance there. I'm not encouraging people to go out and marry the first person they meet. That's not the point. Of this. Oh no, I'm just asking for your opinion. Like, this, yeah, well, that's my yeah. opinion. I think people date too long. Generally, they don't because they don't date with intentionality. And uh, then once you do decide you want to marry someone, don't be engaged long. Uh, and you know, the whole, I get worked up about the whole, like, Oh, I gotta, I gotta get this exact thing in my life. I didn't have this job and this house. And I got mm-hmm. everything worked out before I can do this. Same with kids. I gotta have all my ducks in a row. I have to save all this a certain amount of money saved before I can have kids. I think that's just made up. And uh, I think, again, there's a right. mix between responsibility for sure. But uh, look, if you love somebody enough, you can figure it out. 
And, you know, yeah. a lot of couples you hear that, that uh, couples you respect, they will say, man, our happiest times were times we had no money. And those were close times for us and mm-hmm. uh, times where we, you know, learned and grew together and mm-hmm. not grew apart and then came together. You know, we grew together as a family. So I, uh, I'm i a big proponent of that and uh, big proponent of marriage. I love marriage. I think a lot of people now, you know, don't get married for a long time because they just are functionally married and there's, they don't see a reason to get married, but I'm a big, I'm a big proponent of, uh, of marriage. And, uh, I think it's a really positive thing when it's done the right way. It's the most important relationship on earth that you'll ever have. And so, uh, you know, make sure it's a good one. Well, I was going to, I was going to end with a question about like, so how do you feel like your marriage affects your mental health? But I feel like you've already answered that. Like, oh, it's, it's big. Fantastic. It's a, big, it's, a, it's a huge impact. And, uh, May, again, make sure you invest in that relationship. And, hey, you know, I think that for me, I, I, I feel like I have a big responsibility to uh, certainly I can't control my wife's mental health, but I, I, I can definitely impact it uh, on the way that I'm talking right. to her. And I can be a sounding board for her and I can be somebody that she can talk to about things and work through things with. And I can check on her. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's a huge thing for people is just checking on them to say, hey, how are you doing? You know, like mm-hmm. how really tell me about how you're feeling about this right now or how's it going? Because it's so important for people to have uh, those kind of things. And I think a lot of times some of those situations can be born out of uh, people feeling really alone and like they don't have anyone who understands them or uh, is really cares about the way they're feeling. And so I do think I take a big responsibility in that for my wife's mental health, um, you know, and, and making sure that I'm uh nurturing her and encouraging her and building her up and helping her to feel more loved and cared for, um, and healthy in that way. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's a big, that's been a big focus of me because you learn a lot about yourself, but also about other people when you get married. And, uh, that's, that's really been something that I was not familiar with. I grew up in, you know, all boys household, Mm -hmm. how we feel. That wasn't a big focus, you know, and I've had to learn that like, that's something that, uh, people really need, they need that and they need to, to be checked on in that way. So that's a, uh, you know, a huge, uh, now part of my life is something I don't always do a good job on, but so you would say I, that you're more emotionally intelligent now than you were. I think before. so. And yeah. I'll just a quick, quick, uh, quick uh, buzz. that I think is one practical tip that is so helpful for me mm-hmm. is that there's this book out there, the five love languages, you know, and I don't know if you ever read about that, Joe, the five love languages. But Rams were trying to get me to read that book for years. Well, you go ahead and do it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, figuring out what your spouse's love language is. Like my wife is a huge words of affirmation person. And that is number five for me. That's the last in, in the five mm-hmm. for me. Uh, and so, you know, you got to figure out how does your wife receive love? I Like I, I try to at times love my wife in the way that I want to be loved, you know? Mm-hmm. And I try to like, Hey, let's spend quality time together. Not that she doesn't want to spend quality time, but you know, that's, that's, that's or I try to like do. do the dishes for her, which again, she appreciates, but that's not the way in which she feels most loved. She would rather me write her a note probably to tell her how much I cared about her. That would mean the most to her. So you got to figure that out for, uh, you know, your wife and, and, uh, and figure out, you know, what makes her feel loved and make sure you're doing lots of that. Nice. Ladies and gentlemen, this has gone from a uh, mental health podcast to a relationship podcast. And I like that. You know what, right. though? Life's about relationships. And this is from is. the introvert. You know, life Look is you, about Joe. relationships. You've, you've grown. I'm trying. I'm trying to get you've involved grown. with like a church group. We'll see what happens. I'm just I, so I love that, Joe. People. You're big time. I've got to see a lot of different phases of Joe. I've, I was looking at that, at that wheel over there. I've seen about 
every single one of those Joe on that certain wheel. Joe is a guy who's well-versed in the wheel and that he's been in about every single one of those positions at one point. And, uh, and I've seen him in a lot of those positions and, uh, you know, I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that right now you're feeling proud and you should Joe, you've done a good job. Uh, you're a good dad, you're a good leader, good husband, and, uh, you're having an impact on a lot of people. So Thank I think you. it's cool that you're bringing these conversations to light and I enjoy, you know, these are questions that you'll get asked a lot, you know, how you're feeling, what's going on, what's, what's up with your heart. And mm-hmm. I think it's something we need to talk more about. And, uh, you know, there's, uh, uh, even beyond just marriage, but just friendship of having friends that you really ask, you know, Hey, how really are you? You know, mm-hmm. I don't just want to hear I'm good. How are you? Oh, did you watch the game last night? Like those relationships um, are not as impactful in your life as they Very could be surface level. versus yeah. going deep and really figuring out, Hey, what's going on with you? How, how can I pray for you? What's really, what's really going on in your life and your heart right now? Let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because a lot of times, you know, those, those, uh, a lot of those negative feelings, that are on that wheel uh, live a lot better and grow a lot better in the darkness than they do in the light, you know? And so the more light you can shed on that as a friend and as a spouse, I think the, uh, the, the healthier uh, you tend to be. That is true. And that actually, well, I'm not going to keep you on the, first of all, this is the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming, Barrett. I really appreciate you. You're definitely going to be back because you were right. You were talking about like, you seen me experience like, you know, every one of those wheel emotions. And I'd like to talk more about that, not in terms of like uh, necessarily like, oh, let's flash back and reminisce. But, you know, um, being able to have a discussion from the first person as well as the third person at the same time about events that we both experienced differently. Does that make sense? It does. Okay. It does, absolutely. So I Barry's going to be back next week. No, I'm just playing. But I definitely got to get on your calendar for sometime this summer because that would be a good Coach, episode. Coach Boudreaux can join us too. He can, he can be the third guest. On oh, no. Nah. <laughs> we wouldn't get anything done. Like, who's the angry guy on the uh, – don't, don't worry about it. We're, we're cutting this line. But, yeah, no, I appreciate you, man. I, um, I think you've said a lot of fantastic things. And I think you're a fantastic person too, which is – Honestly, like one of the reasons I stay in touch with you because if I didn't, well, think I appreciate that, Joe. Person. I, I appreciate it. We all got a lot to learn, and uh, part of the, I, I think, just one of the greatest things about sports for me uh, was just the people you get to meet, you know, and people from all different walks of life, backgrounds, and you can always learn things from different people. And you're a guy that I've learned a lot from, and I, I'm a learner. I love learning, and so I, uh, I feel blessed to have known you. Uh, because I like you, first of all, but also because I've learned a lot from you and just watching and observing your life. It's uh, it's cool to talk and have friends of people that are, you know, not exactly like you in every way. That's I think I that's agree. just part of the joy of life of getting to experience different things and different people and customs, so on and so forth. Even like joking about that wedding, like seriously, that's, yeah. that's so fun and cool to talk about. I think just the different uh, the different places life takes you. And yeah. Uh, so enjoy it. Uh, don't don't uh, don't think you got it all figured out, and uh, keep your mind open because you never know. I was not expecting Joe Barksdale when I when I when I met him, and uh, here we go. Years later, we're we're on a podcast together. So that's true. That's, uh, that's part of the fun. And Brianna told me to tell you hello too. So I have well, tell her I said hello. She's way too good for you. You can tell her I said that. I will. I will, I will tell her that every day. Um, <laughs> and that's been the show. Uh, so I'm gonna sign off. Hold on. All right. Stop.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.